0: Hi, I'm Kenna Lenhoff. Hi, I'm Cynthia Sherpett. Welcome to This One Woman. We are a monthly variety show at the Hop Leaf in Chicago. It's the fourth Monday of every month, and for each of our shows, our performers are inspired by a famous woman that was chosen by the audience the month before. This month's woman of honor is Meryl Streep.
1: Mamma mia, does it show again? My, my just how much I missed you.
0: So, for our Meryl Street show, we actually performed it at Pressure Billiards, which is just north of the Hop Leaf, where we have our show normally. And why is that, Kenna? Because Hop Leaf's furnace broke and i found out about that right after i'd already sent the running order to all the performers luckily
2: and this furnace broke like on one of the warmer days of winter right
0: oh completely it broke on the sunday um before our polar vortex that hit on the tuesday and the day of our meryl streep show was actually a snowstorm as well (laughs) But I didn't want to cancel the show because I knew for, like, the next few days, everybody was going to be stuck inside. And it's Meryl Streep.
2: No one cancels Meryl. Yeah. No
0: one cancels Meryl. And the show must go on. We are professionals. Oh, it must. Then must go on. So, luckily, Aaron Ellsworth, who's performed in our show in the past, is a manager at Pressure Billiards. And he offered up his space for us to do the show. So That's thank awesome. you, thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Pressure Billiards, for having us there. Um, obviously, we're going to be back at Hop Leaf, um, and it'll be nice and toasty. It'll be nice and toasty because they got a brand new furnace up the stairs, up the stairs versus upstairs. I don't know. Oh, Meryl, Meryl, Meryl Street.
2: <laughs> I have so many thoughts about Meryl. I'm excited to discuss the performances and get into all the nitty gritty of meryl
0: our first performer of the night was natalie green
2: oh yay natalie has performed with us before it's always fun to have her she is
0: such a ball of joy i love when she performs with us natalie is an improviser and a sketch um, performer and she's getting ready to produce her own sketch show this spring so keep your eyes open for natalie green and here's natalie
3: Thank you, uh, everyone, for having me on this very cold Chicago uh, winter evening. Uh, This was a discovery process for me, and I'm pleased to share my findings with you guys. Meryl Streep was born Mary Louise Streep on June 22, 1949, in Summit, New Jersey. All you need to know, for obvious reasons, is she had parents. I kid you not. The first video I decided to watch regarding her life introed with letting me know that she is a seven, seven times removed descendant of William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania. <laughs> of course, I always get led down a, rap- a rabbit hole and this wasn't any different. In case you were wondering, because I was, Bill had slaves and he was cool with slaves, kind of like all the other folks who found land in America. My reaction, I admit, was a bit close-minded. Like Great. I'm about to learn more about another proud white woman who sees things from a different perspective, maybe, and preaches equal rights. Cool. Kind of like our government, except the government is more the opposite of that.
1: <laughs>
3: At that moment, I decided I wanted to know more about how we relate to one another. So through my discoveries, I found I, I found so many great things about this phenomenal woman that we know as Meryl. Aside from her possibly turning a blind eye on Mr. Weinstein ew, ah. and saying everyone is from Africa, oh. we. We are forgiving, but, you know, the black community was not feeling that one. But I understood what she was putting down, though, so I can relate. So I need some help from you guys. I'm trying to discover how I relate to Ms. Meryl Streep. So when I say, how I, when I, say I can relate, I need you guys to say, how do you relate? And I will move forward <laughs> with explaining you how I relate. Cool? We got it. All right, so, um, despite M- Meryl's, AKA Mary's frizzy hair and big glasses growing up, she has always been quite popular and a performer. She was, she was in school plays and at one point wanted to be an opera singer. She loved the stage. I can relate. Hi. I can, relate. can relate. Y'all dope, I see y'all. <laughs> I, I too had bottle cap glasses and frizzy hair. Until I got a perm and a relaxer, (laughs) on separate occasions, of course. And I, too, love to be on stage. But like Meryl says, the glasses and the hair don't make the person. At age 26, Meryl had her her first acting debut, and she hated it. She wanted to quit acting because she wore a bad wig and didn't want to appear on TV like that. Girl. I can relate.
1: How can you relate?
3: I'll tell you. I ain't leaving my house without these naps intact and these edges laid. This is how you know she had black friends because she probably knew how they, they would drag her ass if they found out that her wig wasn't intact. I know the struggle. Trust me. So, after attempting to give up on her dreams, Meryl applied to law school. But on, that, on the day of her interview, she overslept. Child, I can relate. I can relate. I'm about to lose my job tomorrow <laughs> because I overslept for a job for five years I almost gave up my dreams for. I will be an actual starving artist, guys. Yo, this is a little bit too real for me. <laughs> Meryl instead went to Yale, but found out quickly she liked stuff and she needed to pay and she needed to pay for that shit along with school. So she had to get to the grind. I can definitely relate, Meryl. How can you relate? Well, I too went to college and I was broke as fuck, so I had to go back to work. But I like I sorry I was broke as fuck, so I had to go to work but I liked work more, so I said fuck school. Not quite the same, Uh, that one was a little bit of a stretch, but it's my relatable experience, not
1: yours.
3: (laughs) You gotta grind for what you want. I know how to hustle so she clearly knows how to hustle too. 95 million dollar net worth, the proof is in the pudding baby, let me tell you. After college, Meryl went on to do so many movies. Her discography is absolutely insane and I can't believe she's human. She's only been turned down for four roles in her career. Does she even know what rejection is like? That's one thing I can't relate to.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Through my Meryl Streep discovery, I learned that she knew how to say no very early on and did what, she, what, she is, what is true to her. She worked hard and pushed herself to be great. There's no role she could not master. She stands for what she believes, does what she loves, and she is a leader and a role model, and she inspires women around the world. So today I wrote a speech because I'm presenting Meryl Streep her This Woman Lifetime Achievement Award. So. Today, we are here to honor the most beloved white woman in Hollywood. (laughs) What can I say, Meryl Streep? Meryl Streep has set the bar high for everyone. Thanks, Meryl. The game is pretty hard as you made it look easy. Meryl is arguably the best actor of our generation with the ability to transform into any body of work to become the vessel for other people's stories and relatable to a lot of people's lives. Meryl has proven time after time that she is a bad bitch or a phenomenal woman, whichever suits you best. She doesn't take no shit from nobody. She does what she wants to do, how she wants to do it, and she sticks up for what she believes. And she does it with so much grace. She has the confidence to embrace mistakes and the courage to change the world. She's filthy fucking rich and, as the most nominated actress, Merrill is killing the game, and she has proven that only death could stop her. In the words of Merrill, we will have much to thank this president for, because we will have woken up to how fragile freedom is. With that being said, appreciate, understand, and acknowledge your gifts and talents and share them with the world for a greater good. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I present you this One Woman Life Achievement Award to our beloved Merrill Streep.
0: Thank you guys. Our next performer is Julie Jurgens. By day, Julie is a librarian. What what? Yep. I know how you like the libraries and librarians, Cynthia. You know I love
2: a library. For our listeners who don't know, I've I worked in a library. For uh, about 13 years, and I always break for libraries.
0: Julie is also a storyteller, singer, songwriter, and we're so glad to have her back at This One Woman. Here's Julie. All right, sometimes I like to bury
4: the lead. I'm also a librarian. Um, I started out life as a preschool teacher, and I was like, well, I don't mind being poor, poor, but I would like to move up into being just regular poor. So that's why I made that uh, lucrative career change. Um, and as a librarian, of course, I read a book about Meryl Streep, and I'm going to tell you about it. Has anyone read this yet? Oh, good. I'm um, going to warn you, I'm probably going to spoil some stuff, but again, there's not much to spoil because Meryl Streep is notoriously hard to kind of dig into and find out a lot about what's going on with her. Um, She really doesn't want to share anything about herself with anyone. Um, So Michael Schulman had his work cut out for him, and you'll notice that in this book. Um, But I appreciate that about Meryl. Do you have an actor or actress that you just know way too much about, and so when you go see them in a movie you're like, I can't think of them as this character, I just know they're Tom Cruise, the creepy Scientologist fuck who probably has murdered several babies and has gotten away with it because of Xenu. So I appreciate it when I don't know anything about actors' real lives. Like, Steve Buscemi, I just learned his wife died. I didn't know he had a wife. I feel bad for him, because like, when your spouse dies, that's pretty sad, but that's really all I know about him. That's all I need to know. You really know all you need to know when you look into his bulbous fish eyes you know, and think, why haven't you starred um, uh, in the story of uh, Don Knotts yet? Um, yeah! Do that before he dies! Come on now! Missed opportunities. Um, so Michael lovingly titled this Her Again, which... Um, her again, her. Um, uh, And uh, it's from a speech that she gave, so it's not super insulting, but um, you really do kind of feel that way sometimes when people are just so successful, you're like, how do you keep doing this? Why do you keep doing this? Um, And again, to reference that um, charming uh, Dustin Hoffman moment, most female actors, I've, I've realized in my research, are not method actors. If you don't know a lot about method acting, method acting is all about take your own pain and put it out there. Like, use it for your character. Think about when your daddy didn't hug you and, like, make yourself cry. Um, which, to me, seems, I don't know, it's, it's, it's exploitative, uh, even though you're exploiting yourself. And it's really exploitative when there's, like, an acting teacher trying to make you pull that out of yourself. Like, I don't want to talk about my trauma. I just want to put on a Cockney accent and sell flowers and <laughs> <do> think <that laughs> about lovely places. Like, But, you know, method acting teachers are like, no, what are you get it out and put it into the character. Whereas Meryl and most um, female or female identified actors kind of want to feel what the character is feeling. And they use this thing called imagination. Imagine that. (laughs) Imagine using your imagination to pretend you're someone else. And apparently that was very offensive to Dustin Hoffman. Not only did he slap her to somehow pull a better performance from her, and whisper shit about her recently dead lover, um, to like kind of pull stuff out of her. There was another time when he sprung something on her. They were filming a scene in Kramer versus Kramer in a cafe and there was a glass of wine on the table, and he warned like the camera guy. He's like, make sure that glass is in the shot. And the camera guy's like, yeah, yeah. And when they finished the scene, he like stood up and like, hit the, the glass against a wall, and Meryl stood up and was like, the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, Can you not do that? She had shards of glass in her hair. Um, so really just kind of shitty male behavior is something that she um, put up with a lot. This book actually talks a lot about different men in her life. There's not a lot of Marilyn here, but if you want to hear about her high school boyfriend who went off to Vietnam, there are several pages dedicated to him and his problems, which is it's really it's really kind of bizarre. But like I said, the author was really with working with what he what he had. Um, but she's also incredibly funny. There are some tidbits I want to share. Um, when she so she studied with a a, a a voice teacher who prepared people for the opera. So that makes it a little less surprising when she moved into musicals. Um, and when she was applying to uh, drama schools after getting her undergrad, she kind of narrowed it down to two top choices, Juilliard and Yale Drama School. Both good choices, but uh, Juilliard's application fee was $50. So instead of applying at all, she just sent a nasty letter that was like, your entrance fee is too high, and that um, shows just what a kind of cross section of the population you get at your school. So, she was kind of just like, "Fuck you, Juilliard. That's too expensive." Which, you know, applying to uh, be in a school where you're gonna go into a profession where like a very small p- percentage of people actually make Meryl Street money, like I would be like that too. I'd be like, "Fuck y'all on your fifty dollars." Like I'm not gonna make that much a week. Um, <laughs> and there isn't. And so the chapters are interesting. The chapters are all dedicated to characters that Meryl played, and that took me a while to figure out. Sometimes a little slow on the uptake. I'm like, why are these chapters all named after ladies except for the one named Frito? Um, And and Frito, of course, is in honor of uh, John Cazell, um, who she fell in love with and he died. And then, um, what was the other thing I was gonna talk about? So, I really, and I do wanna talk a little, I have a little pet theory. So who is Meryl's, like, rival? Who would you name as her Glenn Close. So I have a theory that, um, and I'm not going to say one way is better than the other, but my theory is that Meryl is um, very much, she starts um, outward and works her way in. Um, One time in a production of... a Tennessee Williams play. She like stuffed her bra full of tissues to be this like kind of voluptuous, kind of dumb, thumb sucking baby doll character. So she works from the outside in. She was in another production where she had a prosthetic nose and like a gray wig and she sat on a wheelchair and played this 80 year old woman. So Meryl likes to start from the outside and work her way in, you know, covering herself in plutonium for Silkwood, like that kind of thing. She likes to start <laughs> with the outside. And I feel like Glenn kind of finds the inner life of the character and kind of like radiates that out from her face. So, and it's not always true. I mean, Glenn was in uh, 101 Dalmatians, where she had the wig doing a lot of the work. Um, but just think about that the next time you're watching those two actresses at work. And again, if you're interested at all in um, Meryl Streep, this book actually ends with Kramer versus Kramer, I guess after that, like, it's just, like, a given that, yeah, Meryl Streep did shit, you know? Um, But I do recommend uh, Her Again by Michael Schumann. And you can check it out from your local library. Thank you.
2: Next up is Molly Rafferty, who is also a repeat performer at This One Woman. She always teaches us a lot, and she rhymes about it because she a poet and she know it. Welcome the stylings of Molly
5: Rafferty. So I was at this woman in uh, November, yes. and I wrote this really stupid poem that people really liked, so I thought I would do another stupid poem for you guys. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Um, of Oscar nominations, yeah, Meryl's got a few. From Sophie's Choice to The Post, No Wrong Can't She Do. But some of us realize that may not be quite true. Has Meryl taken bad roles, you ask? Well, maybe one or two. But Meryl wouldn't do that. Oh, how naive you are. Perhaps you weren't born when she made She-Devil with Roseanne Barr? She plays a romance novelist who steals Ed Begley Jr. from Roseanne. All I can think is, ladies, why are we fighting over this man? How about Death Becomes Her with Bruce Bruce Willis and Goldie Hawn, a 90s all-star cast like this, whatever could go wrong. They drink a magic potion in hopes of staying forever young, or young forever, but it's two hours of your life that you will get back never. Of Emmy nominations, yeah, Meryl's got a stash, but can we talk instead about Ricky and the Flash? We're supposed to believe she's a rock star because she's wearing leather and some braids. I'll come right out and say it. It's the worst she's ever made. In Nancy Myers, it's complicated. Meryl plays a senior who fucks. But in my opinion, it's not complicated. This movie just sucks. And who wants to see Steve Martin in situations of sex, except maybe an improv girl with a daddy complex? But one of her so-called bad movies, was my favorite as a child. I'm referring, of course, to the River Wilds*. Yes! My mom bought it off Blockbuster so she could appease the daughter, who continuously rented a movie where Meryl's nickname was Whitewater. <laughs> oh, the river is wild, and the trouble is deep. This is the story of Whitewater, played by a jacked Meryl Streep. They call her Whitewater because she's a former rafting guide, and for her son's tenth birthday, the family decides to go for a ride down the Colorado River, you know, just your typical birthday bash, until they pick up a stranded Kevin Bacon with a duffel full of cash. (laughs) Meryl likes Kevin Bacon right away. She even teaches him how to fish, but even Buzzkill Dad can see that something is amiss. And when Meryl's bathing in the river and catches Kevin Bacon peeping from above of this creepy charity case, she decides she's had enough. Well. Kevin Bacon takes them hostage, and just when you think this trip has gone to hell, old Buzzkill Dad tries to plan their escape using only ASL. (laughs) Meanwhile, Kevin Bacon wants Meryl to take him through the gauntlet, a route for which you must be daft, but Meryl knows the ways of the river, and this bitch knows how to flip a raft. (laughs) And because I want you to watch this movie, I promise I won't spoil the rest, and I hope you'll see, even at her worst, Meryl Streep is actually still the best.
0: Thank you. Hey, Cynthia. What's the most Portland thing you've done this month?
2: Well, just the other day, I performed at a storytelling show that was outdoors on the riverfront, and it was during the Portland Winter Light Festival. So there was a sculpture of a, giant human heart that was also um it had fire inside it i'm like is it do you call it a fire pit it wasn't really a pit because it was a heart anyway so i told a story next to a giant flaming heart and next to the river that sounds pretty portland right <laughs> that sounds
0: really portland it was
2: really beautiful and magical and i recommend to everyone that they participate in or go see the Portland Winter Light Festival next year when it rolls around again. Ah. And the other most Portland thing I did was uh, watch the city get shut down when there was a tiny bit of snow, which as a <laughs> former Chicagoan after, you know, I take that with a grain of salt because I know what you guys were going through these last couple of weeks.
0: I know. Oh, so basically, the whole last month has been very Chicago weather. You know, we had um, the night of that we did our Meryl Streep show, we had a snowstorm. The next day, a polar vortex started for two days, which is like sub zero, negative fifty degrees Ouch. Fahrenheit. Really, really cold. The so one time I was like, "Hey, guess who's glad that she doesn't have a job." Could stay inside. Um, I'm still unemployed. If anybody knows of work for me, please let me know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we had the polar vortex, and then the following weekend basically went up to like 40 degrees. So we had like Ooh. a jump of like 100 degree weather. Oh
2: my gosh. You know?
0: Yeah. Other than that, we have an election for mayor and alderman, our local elections, um, in 11 days as of today's recording. So I've been trying to get involved in knowing who to vote for, which, let's be honest, having an al- a local election in February in Chicago is a really bad idea.
2: Yeah, that's like asking for low participation.
0: Exactly.
2: Oh, I also over here in Portland read about how Alderman Ed Burke was finally arrested.
0: Ah, oh, so much is happening.
2: And then that the led city. me to an article about all the various aldermen who have been arrested over time. And there's a lot of them. And I was scanning for my former ward, the 46th, and no arrests there. All right. Let's hear it for the 46th.
0: 46th? The 46th ward? My alderman, the 40th ward, is a big Ed Burke you know, supporter, friend, and all that. And um, there was a poll after Ed Burke got arrested. Like, who do you want to see arrested next? <laughs> and they listed like like listed. Um, my friend Renee sent it to me, and they listed like Mike Madigan, my alderman, um, and a couple other <laughs> people. I chose my alderman, That's and a I was very like very
2: Chicago poll. Who do you want to see arrested next? was also the co-host of our Meryl Streep show since I cannot co-host here from Portland. I mean, I could, but no one would see it or hear it, which would kind of defeat the purpose.
0: So It's kind of a distance thing.
2: You know, it's it's hard to do it across all the miles, which is why we do this podcast magic to make up for it. And Kathy Polkrebeck not only was the co host, she also shared a delightful piece to instruct us all how to gear up and prepare if you want to watch like a ton of Merrill Street movies in a row, or as she calls it, a Merrill Fawn. I think that's another pun. I just hit my brakes. <laughs> all
6: right. So I'm next. You've already met me. You know, I'm, I'm a woman about town. Um and so I'm so committed to the success of this show that I actually watched 26.2 Meryl Street movies <laughs> in the month of January. It's my marathon.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
6: People still wear these when they run marathons, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, um, I am here to give you top my top ten tips for surviving your first. Marathon. So, like, any long-distance endeavor, the key to your marathon success is preparation. So here's what you need. So the first first thing you need is the right shoes, which clearly I'm not wearing because these are my Silkwood shoes, not my marathon shoes. Um, and Mir- Miranda Priestley recommends stilettos for everything. I recommend fuzzy slippers with grippers on the bottom so you don't slip during bathroom breaks or snack runs. So, speaking of snacks, I'm just getting warmed up. Um, (laughs) You and your marathon need to practice good fuel and hydration strategies. Might I recommend something light and packed with protein, like aspic, a Julie and Julia-approved entree, of. Uh, It's a savory jelly made with meat stock set in a mold and used to contain pieces of meat, seafood, or eggs. Like, if that's not, they should make a goop of that, you know, so you can just have it on the track. Um, Don't steal that idea, TM. Um, Number three, you should cross-train because Meryl, she has her ups, she has her downs. Um, And for every Sophie's choice, there's a fun rom-com romp like Nora Ephron's heartburn. For every deer hunter, there is a death becomes her. My favorite movie, like I said, 1996, great year, great year. Um, so number four, a good soundtrack is key and marrow movies do not disappoint. Sweeping classical of Sophie's choice and music of the heart also in sync. Um, John Williams, River Wild*, Broadway, The Bridges of Madison County. Yes, it is a musical. Um, It was on Broadway. Mamma Mia, Into the Woods. If you're into country, Prairie Home Companion, Postcards from the Edge. And if you're into rock and roll, don't miss the soundtrack of Ricky and the Flash. Um... (laughs) So, number five, (laughs) took a while, took a while, know the terrain, because knowing the terrain literally saved Meryl's life when Kevin Bacon kidnapped her family and makes her guide them through the wild rapids of the River Wild. Um, Number six, only to commit to the marathon if you're passionate and have the money and time to keep your commitment, much like Florence Foster Jenkins and her musical (laughs) endeavors. You too might end up running to Lincoln Hall. Number seven, build up to the longest distance. Use shorter races as training opportunities. In a Marathon, this means watching her guest appearances, such as when she voiced Bill Tree's Creole Ants on King of the Hill, Reverend Lovejoy's Wayward Daughter, Jessica Lovejoy on The Simpsons, Bart's First Girlfriend, or narrated docudramas like Five Came Back about movie directors during World War II, or Ken Burns' The Roosevelts. Number eight, <laughs> pick good role models, visionaries, and big picture thinkers to inspire you to push through the hard times. Katherine Graham, Margaret Thatcher, Karen Silkwood, Emmeline Pankhurst, um, and Ricky and the Flash, you know. It depends who you want your role model to be. Number nine. Be aware of technological innovations that might help track the progress of your marathon. For example, an Apple Watch a smart TV, or a tiny implant in your neck that allows someone to voice control your actions. <laughs> Much like, or sorry, voice control your actions, whether that be implementing a strict viewing regimen of Meryl Street movies or overthrowing a government, like in the Manchurian Candidates. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
6: then finally, if you find yourself hitting the wall at mile 26, find someone to give you an invigorating slap without warning or consent, <laughs> just like Dustin Hoffman in Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> if that doesn't work, have tell Hoffman the name of a recently deceased loved one so he can make you, um, you know, sorry, ha- so he can taunt you with details about your lover and or close relative's recent excruciating death from cancer. So, those are the keys to your marathon success. It's almost February. No one's going to leave the house anyway. So, have at it.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Neil Arsenti, producer of the podcast version of This One Woman. If you're enjoying this, come and see the show live and for free every fourth Monday of the month at Hop Leaf, 5148 North Clark Street in Chicago. For more information, check out the website at thisonewoman.net or like us on Facebook. And now, back to the podcast.
2: at her IMDb page and did you know that there's a new Little Women coming out and she's playing Aunt March?
0: Yes. This is the first I've heard of this. I feel like Meryl Streep as um, one of those actors that started as such a young woman and has continued to work throughout her life and career. Like if you look back at um, other movies which um, Kathy talked about during her Marathon like She-Devil yeah. and, um, and Death Becomes Her when she was kind of like not really being you know getting as many of the dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also very interesting in how she's, like, just rolling into other things, like from Julie and Julia, you know, the Margaret Thatcher movie, to The Post, and now playing Marmee. It's really interesting to see how she's done that.
2: All right. Um, our next performer had an accompanist. accompaniment... <laughs> <laughs> you say that word.
0: A You're good at the words today, too.
2: Oh, I'm really good at words. I. Accompanies. To be fair, I've never been able to say that word very well. It's a good thing I don't really do musical theater. Anyway, there was a piano player with our next performer, Caledonia Olivares, who is also a return performer. She's done some solo character, she's done sketch and this time she showed off her singing skills as well and reminded us that even though Meryl is often nominated for awards, she does not always win so take it away Callie and your accompaniment on this so
8: as many of us knew before we arrived tonight, and if we didn't, we know before, we know now. Meryl is the most nominated of all actors in history. However, she's only won three Oscars. It's not even like the most. Katherine Hepburn has four. (laughs) So Katherine Hepburn is really the most celebrated. And I got to thinking too, like, she was nominated 21 times and won three times, which means 18 times Meryl was a loser.
1: That's gotta hurt,
8: right? But she's so graceful, at least on the surface. <laughs> Loss is history. I've played all these parts, <laughs> and I've sung some songs, too. Yet I have more to say, more roles I want to play. Because Meryl takes them all <laughs> makes other acts crawl 18 near victories I need more desperately I was in front row thinking I belong there I figured it made sense with talent so immense practicing my speech <laughs> thinking i'd be strong there i never play the fool i make oscar drool <laughs> best loser face in town smile gently never frown when someone Did McLean emote (laughs) (laughs) like I did in Silkwood? Could Paige match me in depth? My gravitas so deft. Somewhere deep inside, you must know you fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> the year I lost share In her underwear
1: <laughs> The judges
8: must decide And Foster won her prize Sarandon took a stand While Bates hobbled a man Zeta-Jones there and Swank cut off her hair. Sandra Bull looked hard and Paltrow shagged the ball. I don't want to talk about awards that fell through. In interviews I'll say, I'm honored anyway. I won't apologize because it makes me feel bad faking graceful cheer for 12 long fucking years. Because you see, Meryl should win them all.
2: Well, it has been fun, folks, but we only have one more performer for this month's This One Woman, and it is Mr. Mark Rosenthal. Now, Mark knows a lot about movies, and he has a lot of very well-informed opinions about movies, and I always get excited to hear him either propose an idea for a new movie or analyze what's going on in a movie we've already seen. And lucky for Mark, Meryl has plenty of movies to take from. Remind me after we hear from Mark Kenna that I have some thoughts about *The River Wild* myself. But first, we'll hear from Mark Rosenthal.
0: Come to the stage, Mark. Hey. Yeah. I wonder what he's going to talk about.
7: Yeah. All right. First of all, uh, my apologies to Molly. We have highly differing opinions on the River Wild. Uh, Tonight, I come to you not as uh, Mark Rosenthal, perpetually upcoming comedian, 20 years running. I come to you not as Mark Rosenthal, former juggalo. I come to you not... I I come to you not as Mark Rosenthal, part-time, semi-amateur comedy rapper. Tonight, I come to you as Mark Rosenthal... Professor Emeritus of Action Movie Studies from the fully accredited Action Movie Review Podcast, Body Counts and Beer. Yes, thank you. Yeah, here's a brief preview of our upcoming lecture about the aiming of semi and fully automatic weapons. Just spray. Moving on. (laughs) So we've heard a number of wonderful things tonight about, uh, about Meryl Streep, uh... She's appeared in over 80 film and television projects, she's a recipient of the National Medal of the Arts, and she has received America's highest civilian honor, being name checked in a song from the movie Fame. But tonight, I'm here to discuss Meryl Streep's contributions to action cinema, uh, of which only one such example exists, The River Wild, released, yes, in 1994, and directed by Curtis 8 Mile Hanson. Now the River Wild, the River Wild, or TRW, if you're nasty, <laughs> begins like all movies do with Meryl Streep racing a train in her canoe. <laughs> so Meryl plays uh, Gail Hartman, a former whitewater rafting guide and current lady, I guess. The movie doesn't really give her much of a job beyond former whitewater rafting guide and person who races trains with canoes. <laughs> <laughs> Her marriage is in trouble because her husband works too much because the 90s. This is one of those movies that exists in a universe where all men exist uh, only either to be uh, browbeaten, workaholic assholes or dangerous but sexy psychopaths. There's only one middle ground, Benjamin Bratt. That's it. So if you're a guy, all right, if you're a guy, it's either I need to get the Flores account taken care of or teach me how to fly fish while you fondle my muscles or hey, I'm Benjamin Pratt. That's it. Those are your only choices. Uh, Now Gail's taking a rafting trip for her son's birthday. Her son is named Rourke, which I know what you think when you hear that and contrary to what it sounds like, he is not a 50 year old accountant. Now the dad can't make it uh, because of man that Florence County ain't gonna take care of itself, you know. At the river, Galen Rourke, who again is not a tobacco lobbyist, meets Wade and Terry, uh, two idiot goobers who are just along for the ride on the river. Terry's played by John C. Riley, pretty great early young role for him, and Wade is played by two actors actually, Kevin Bacon and Kevin Bacon's casual horniness. every single word that comes out of kevin bacon's goddamn mouth in this movie sounds like he's in the midst of an hours-long edging sesh (laughs) and just before wade can staregasm his way into gail's heart oh what do you know the dad shows up is it because he he finally realized that his son's birthday is more important than work no! He brought his fucking Flores account with him! That shit needs to be in order! So, all these idiots end up linking up on the river. Daddy's making like architectural pictures, and Wade, Kevin Bacon, is starting to ingratiate himself with Rourke. Again, not a junior senator from Ohio. So, he gives the kid like a Lollapalooza hat to switch out for his ministry hat, which is about the most lateral move in hat switching history. He has. Uh, for all the young folks out there, uh, if I were to describe the band Ministry to you, uh, it would be six-inch nails. Um, yeah, like, like they're okay, but the whole time you're listening to them, you're like, I really wish I had those three extra inches of nails right now. <laughs> now, from here, the plot, the plot of the movie, the plot of the movie is pretty basic. Not a whole lot happens from here on out. You can pretty much see every big reveal and twist. Coming a long way, but every time one of these things happens, the score just rushes in like, uh, like, like the score had fallen asleep during the Flores account meeting, and then had to shout out an idea so it didn't look like it was, you know, sleeping. It's just like, "Hmm." oh, oh, Kevin Bacon killed the guy. (laughs) Kevin Bacon just gave that kid two hundred (laughs) bucks. Oh, uh, Gail and company try to leave Wade behind, but then they get caught, and it turns out they were robbers the whole time. And they all wanted Gail to lead them through the Gauntlet, which is a series of increasingly dangerous rapids that have been closed to the public because too many people have died. Beep, boop, beep, boop, <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. Up until Kevin Bacon starts killing people, this movie really sucks. It's a real bad.
1: Absolutely nothing
7: happens. There's some stuff about vision quests and Swiss army knives and sign language, but mostly it's basically just discarded footage from Curtis Hanson's summer vacation.
1: <laughs> now
7: eventually, now eventually the dad does make a daring escape with the family dog and he somehow climbs a mountain, traverses a very dense forest, outruns a speeding raft on white water rapids on foot with time enough to build a Home Alone-style trap to flip the raft over to save his wife and kid. It's a whole lot of contrived and a whole lot of stupid. But then, they hit the gauntlet. Now, the last 20 minutes of The River Wild are fucking great. Curtis Curtis Hansen super captures the speed and raw power of nature at its fiercest. And he makes a very smart choice by focusing on the faces of his actors while he does it. And the sequence is great, especially when you realize that Meryl Streep trained for months to get into rafting shape. She was 45 years old when she did this movie. She already had two Oscars, alright? She was comfortably slipping into the roles that are available to women over the age of 30, i.e. barely none.
1: (laughs) But when the director
7: of The Hand That Rocks the Cradle shows up and says, hey, you want to get all Linda Hamilton jacked up and row down a river? She fucking said yes! And her commitment to this role saves the entire movie. She has no business giving a performance this good in a movie that bad. It doesn't deserve it. But that's why she's Meryl Streep! Anyway, they save the day, a bunch of people get shot, the kid appreciates his family, blah, blah, blah. now, on, Bob, on, on Body Counts and Beer, the podcast that I run, uh, we end every episode with something called Bullet Points, which is basically a semi-rapid-fire uh, breakdown of the of the film's action cred. So since this is basically a one-man reenactment of that podcast, that dumb, highly unsuccessful podcast that somehow lasted three years, uh, we're going to begin. So our very first bullet point is always Body Count. How many people died in this movie? Scott, how many people do you think died in The River Wild? Uh, good. Seven. Aaron, how many people do you think die in the River Wild? Oh, let's go, let's go. Eight. Great. Uh, uh Kathy, how many people do you think die? Five. Five. All right, playing by Price's Right rules, uh, where whoever goes uh, closest without going over, none of you won. It's three. <laughs> three people die. Three. That's horseshit for an action movie. Moving on. Second bullet point. Best kill. Best kill. Now this is where we celebrate the most brutal, the most creative, the most emotionally resonant of kills. Like in Commando, when Schwarzenegger javelins a six-foot lead pipe through Vernon Wells' chest, and then he literally ejaculates steam from it because he has a full-on orgasm. Watch Commando, it's super homoerotic and all the better for it. Now, from the River Wild, there's not a whole lot of deaths to choose from, you know, being three. So I'm going to go with Benjamin Bratt, who plays Ranger Johnny, who is just so surprised when Kevin Bacon shoots him in the chest. Like his eyes bug out like that person that showed up on all those Ripley's Believe It or Not TV shows in the 90s where the eyes just come out of their head, and then he just floats down a river. That's it. It's just a dummy floating down a river. It's great. (laughs) Third bullet point. Third bullet point is war crimes. Now, generally in big action movies, there are a number of monstrous crimes against humanity, and they are almost always perpetrated by both villains and the heroes, to be honest with you. Uh, Like in Commando, Schwarzenegger, a single man with no real military affiliation, invades a sovereign nation and murders half of its inhabitants. (laughs) Uh, Definite war crime. In the River Wild, though, the stakes are zero, so uh, I'm going to go with... The Flores account not being in order? I don't know, who cares, moving on. (laughs) Final bullet point. Is this an action movie? This is a pretty self-explanatory one. Is Commando an action movie? Yes, of course it is. So, is the River Wild an action movie? Fucking no! Not even a little bit! Not close! Not a single person in this movie gets killed, and then a sweet one-liner follows it. Like in Commando, right? When Schwarzenegger smothers a guy to death on an airplane, and the stewardess comes by, and he's like, Can I get a blanket for my friend? He's dead tired. (laughs) Well, that's it for me. Thank you very much, everybody. Uh, I don't get the floor support in order. I'll see you later.
0: As Mark mentioned, he's the host of Body Counts and Beer podcast. You can check him out at Body Counts and Beer.
2: I was really glad that a couple of people referenced the River Wilds because I, Kenna, have been rafting on the river where they filmed Parts of the river wild. I think they filmed it on a few different rivers, per Wikipedia. But I, uh, when I was in eighth grade, I went on a whitewater kayaking trip with my dad and my uncle, and we were on the Rogue River in Oregon, which is where they filmed parts of the movie. And we had a guide with us, and as we were making our way down the river, our guide pointed out some things about you know, where parts of the movie were filmed. So it was kind of funny because we were getting some nature information and some historical information and some Meryl Streep, Kevin Bacon, David Stratfairn information. And so I'm pretty intimate with that river because I fell in it uh, oh. at least one time. And as I was falling, uh, I think, I don't remember exactly what happened. Either I hit a rock or just hit a rapid wrong or something. But as I fell out of my kayak and got dragged along the rocky riverbed, I thought to myself, you know what? At least I'm kind of like Meryl Streep. So that's my oh. River Wild story. I oh my
0: defend that That's a great story. I would say I like Thank that you, you. Um, thought you were more like Meryl Streep versus the husband. David Stratford. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, yeah.
2: hmm
0: I mean, who doesn't want to be Meryl? It's true. Cynthia, I love talking to you.
2: I know. It's so fun. Thank you all for listening to another episode of This One Woman, where we got to hear all about Meryl Streep, and we look forward to sharing more with you next time about Bernadette Peters.
0: Yes. Join us next month when we hear about Miss Bernadette Peters.
7: This One Woman was created and produced by Linoff and Cynthia Scherpetz, who also hosted and wrote this podcast. Music for This One Woman podcast was written and performed by John Steinmeier. The This One Woman podcast was produced by myself, Neil Arsenti. We'll see you next month.